Hey guys, Steven Baser here, and you're listening to Defenders of the Bank. Enjoy. everybody so welcome back to episode 101 i still can't believe it philly we're talking triple digits triple digits baby counter unbelievable and just as unbelievable philly we are beyond excited to welcome our guest and a huge part of lafc history and we both hope our future as well bob we know you're listening to the podcast come on let's make it happen bob we got to make this happen john Everybody over there in the front office, come on, we need to make this happen. One of the great right backs in Major League Soccer history, Philly, it is finally beta time on Defenders of the Bank. Damn right it's beta time, and being excited is an understatement. We're thrilled, we're ecstatic. If you can't hear it in my voice, you're deaf. We are so happy to welcome nine-year MLS veteran, 2012 MLS All-Star, Three-time Canadian champion, three-time Supporter Shield winner, a man who has hoisted the MLS Cup in 2017, a member of the inaugural black and gold roster in 2018, and a man who has held more MLS hardware than Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Chicharito ever will combine. <laughs> the pride of Leland High School and San Diego State, go Aztecs, Stephen Betashore. Welcome to Defenders of the Bank, Stephen. Thank you for coming on. Wow, what an intro that was. I'm pumped up right now. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's it's been so long that we've just been talking about this. So uh, it's an honor to finally be on here. So thank you. It's, it's an honor to have you on. It's uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I know you could hear it in my voice. Now, normally we ask this question as an icebreaker, and I'm going to have to steal words from JR's mouth from previous podcasts because it actually means a little more these days. But, you know, what's been going on? What's life been like for you during the pandemic? What are you doing to stay active and motivated? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a crazy world we live in right now. I think Thankfully, um, whether people are sick of it or not, uh, it's starting to open up a little bit. I know some restaurants are opening up and, you know, uh, some people are able to go to the barbershop. But uh, but yeah, for the most part, we've been self-isolating um, and, and really just trying to distance ourselves from everybody in hopes that uh, the, the numbers can come down. And so, uh, you know, I think we've just been going on a lot of walks, uh, obviously, you know, for me, I have to stay active and work out and, and continue to be ready for when uh, MLS and the season comes back. So, uh, you know, I, I turned my garage into a, a mini gym. So fortunately, the, the the local gym where I had my trainer, he let me just take a bunch of weights and equipment home. And, you know, I turned my garage into a little gym. So uh, fortunately, I'm, I'm still fit and ready to go. But uh, but yeah, just Every day is just kind of on repeat and just waiting for uh, a little bit of normalcy to kick in. So, well, hopefully soon. That's for yeah. sure, man. We can't wait. You know, we know you've also probably had a ton of family time, obviously, these past few months. About two years ago, you find out that you're going to become a father. How great of a birthday present, though, did your wife Carly give you in 2019? Your son, Braden, and you share a birthday. How awesome is that? Yeah, it, it was great. Uh you know, he was supposed to be born at the end of the month, 
you know, I'm, I'm February 1st. My, my wife's is a few days after me. And I think he's like, you know what? I don't want to be, you know, after you guys. <laughs> we ended up coming a month early and uh, January 28th. So just a couple of days before my birthday. And it was, it was a great birthday present uh, for him to, to join our lives and be part of our lives. Cause he's, he's honestly been a blessing, just so much fun. Um, you know, a lot of people are probably like, yeah, I've been bored during this whole quarantine. Everyone's just been sitting at home. But when you have a toddler, a little one-year-old running around, yeah. <laughs> you don't get bored. So Yeah, uh, it's hard to get bored with a 16-month-old around the house. So so let me ask yeah. you, though, you, you've been able to scout him a little bit over these past few months. You see any football in his future? Any soccer? Guys, I don't want to brag, but... <laughs> <laughs> brag away! This guy loves to play soccer. It's honestly... Like, I'm so that. happy on the inside. I'm just like, really? This is awesome. Uh, he's got <laughs> a few soccer balls in the house, uh, but he just, every time we go outside, which is often nowadays, uh, he just takes a soccer ball with him and he just runs up and down the street. And when I say run, he's seriously running. It's crazy. Uh, he doesn't walk anymore. He just runs wherever he wants. And he's got a good little left foot. So I was texting uh, Harv. I'm like, I'm so excited. He's a lefty. Like, this is awesome. Right, right. There you go. And see, for everybody that's listening out there, if you sign Stephen Betashore, you get his son as like a futures package deal, I think, too, in yeah. there as well. Yeah. So we we got to make that happen. Obviously, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in that sense. I mean, I guess a similar thing happened with you. I mean, you grew up around soccer as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad played collegiately at San Francisco State. And how much was soccer a part of your home when you were younger? Yeah, it was a huge part, you know, just in our culture and our blood growing up. Uh, it's all I really knew. I never played other sports um, as far as leagues go. I always played with my friends, but soccer was the only sport that I played in a league. And so, uh, you know, my dad, huge, huge soccer player, soccer fan. Um, and, you know, I thought he was kidding when he said he was the MVP at San Francisco State University. And then he showed me his yearbook. And sure enough, you know, there's a picture of him uh you know super slender a long time ago uh, and and yeah he he sure enough he was quite the player and uh and so yeah it's just it's in the blood right um nothing that i did from from when he was born my son to to now that really pushed him it just kind of you know he saw the ball and he automatically just knew just go kick it now he's kicking everything, the trains, the toys. <laughs> the, Hopefully not you. <laughs> sometimes me, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's a blessing. And, you know, if he doesn't want to kick the soccer ball around, I'm okay. If he wants to do something else, we'll go do something else. As long as he's uh, having fun. That's the main, main thing. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you attended Leland High, the same high school as war hero and former NFL star Pat Tillman. Yeah. You and Pat are the only two athletes from Leland to have your numbers retired. You were actually the inaugural recipient of the Pat Tillman Award at Leland 2. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that that was honestly such a special moment. Not many people know about that. Um, it's just something that I never expected or even thought about. Uh, but, you know, for, for receiving the inaugural Pat Tillman Award, it meant a lot to me just because it's not reflective of just your athletic uh, capabilities. It also brings into the academics. So someone that, you know, achieved, um, you know, a good career as far as the sport goes. So whether it was football, basketball, soccer, baseball, and also who, who produced in the classroom. So 
that meant a lot to me just because, you know, uh, my dad always told me that, you know, you have to go to college, you have to get your degree. And uh, he, he put a big burden on, you know, getting that degree and making sure that I focus in school. So he knew how much I loved soccer, but, uh, but yeah, the academic side was a huge part as well. So being the inaugural recipient of the Pat Tillman Award meant a lot. Um, and then, you know, however many years later, like 10 years later, I get a call saying that they, they want to retire my number. I, I, I honestly thought it was a joke. I was like, you know, Pat Tillman's the only one. He's the only one that deserves it. Why would, why would you guys want to retire my number? Um, and, you know, they, they convinced me. It wasn't too difficult. I'm not going to put up that much of a fight. But, <laughs> right, uh, right. I, I was definitely questioning it at first. Well, so you're a rock star in the classroom and obviously a rock star on the pitch. You played the number 10 role and led your team in scoring in both junior and senior years. But, big but, when you headed off to San Diego State, under Lev Kirshner, he moved you to right back. What was that switch like, and how long until you actually felt comfortable in that position? Yeah, um, you know, I can talk for days about how the transition into college, how it was so different. Um, I wasn't necessarily ready, or I didn't know what to expect. Um, so it was definitely uh, a tough transition. You know, I, I'm playing my my club and my high school career kind of as that number 10, uh, always an attacking midfielder. I didn't really know how to defend. Uh, I didn't understand the tactics of the game. It was more so just, I was very talented. I was quick. Um, and, and whenever my team got the ball, they would just give me the ball and here, do your thing, go, go either score or get an assist. Um, and so when I went to college, you know, all the guys were a lot bigger uh, they were stronger. I felt like there was such a big difference in the, the age between when you go to college and say the juniors and seniors. And so it was a bit of a shock to, to the system. And so I, I registered in my freshman year, you know, I didn't even play. Um, and then they, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to try to put you on the wings. I played a little bit of uh, outside winger. And then I actually was a left back um, pretty much sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, and so for me, it wasn't even about, you know, my favorite position is attacking, playing center mid. It was, I just want to play. I just want to be on the field. I want to help our team win. And so even though I'm right foot dominant, and even though I know I'm, I'm better on that side, I was totally okay with, you know, what, whatever helps the team. If you want to put me on the left side, if you want me to defend, I'll learn how to defend and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to help our team win. And yeah, so um, when I when I got drafted to the Quakes, it was like, oh, you're not a lefter, you're a right footer. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And so they were the ones that moved you over to right back, huh? Yeah, and so oh, they're okay. the ones they're the ones that actually uh -huh. moved me right back. Yeah, so I played left back all of uh, college, and I have to give Lev uh, a ton of credit for seeing that kind of that defensive uh, skill set. Um, yeah. I never had the mentality for it. Uh, I was always just like an attacking player, but I think once he put me in there and I learned how to defend and he saw how competitive I was, he's like, okay, we have something here because you love going forward. That's natural. Um, but now that you have learned how to defend, uh, you can, you can really make a career out of this. So got to give him a lot of credit for that. Sure. So, so you were part, we'll talk about how you were part of LAFC's first team in 2018, but you were also part of one team's last season. <laughs> the San Jose Frogs of the USL Premier Development League. Did you, you know, that's obviously a hometown team for you. You grew up in and around the San Jose area. Did you know, did you have a sense that it was that club's last season? Like, what's it like 
playing for a team that that's gonna fold at the end of the year. Yeah, you know, San Jose Frogs. It was a, a brief little uh, stint. I think I had two summers with them. Essentially, all the college players uh, go play PDL, so it's typically all the local guys. So when I went back up north. Uh, I think you were allowed five players from a university just for okay. NCAA rules. And so we had, you know, five of the top Stanford players, five of the top Berkeley, Berkeley players, five of the top like Santa Clara players, and then a handful of like San Jose State and other guys. And, you know, I'm going over there and I think they had me playing forward or winger, kind of like uh, a Rossi or Vela. And all of a sudden I was, you know, leading the team in goals. So you just kind of get that sense of like my whole mindset was attack, right? And here okay. I'm in college just playing defense. Uh, so I'm playing all over all these guys. So it was kind of, it opened my eyes like, huh, maybe I have something here. Maybe I am kind of talented. And uh, I didn't realize that it was going to be their last season. Um, you know, I it was pretty, pretty cool to be part of that team just because I think my first year – we had seven guys get drafted into the MLS. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that was a really good team, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I think I progressed a lot from those San Jose Frogs days, uh, even though sure. it was in the summer. Sure. Well, you mentioned the draft. You know, we go from the San Jose Frogs to the San Jose Earthquakes, 2010 yeah. MLS Super Draft. Pretty deep draft. Guys like Ike Opara, Tim Reams, Sean Johnson, Justin Morrow, who we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit later. What's the process like going through – the draft, the combine, what was that all like for you? Yeah, and so, again, kind of uh, the story of my career from high school to college to even the pros, um, I was always just kind of overlooked. Uh, I didn't get invited to the MLS combine. Uh, I never received any awards in college. Uh, you know, I think my senior year, I was finally honorable mention right. um, for, for the Pac-12. But, um, you know, besides being a scholar athlete at San Diego State, uh, that was the only real award I received. I didn't get any uh, athletic awards. And so scouts weren't looking at me and all this stuff. And the only reason I got drafted by the Quakes was because uh, in that summer that I was uh, playing with the Frogs, I went and tried out with uh, the Quakes through a mutual friend. And so, you know, Frank Yallop calls me up one day during the summer before my final semester at San Diego State and says, hey, why don't you come out? Um, and I, I was so excited. I went out, had a real good showing, and they wanted to sign me right there. But, you know, I told them I have one semester left. I'm going to go graduate, get my degree. And if you guys want in January, you can draft me. And he says, yeah, we're definitely going to draft you. So um, oh, that's thankfully, awesome. thankfully, no one got me before they did because I really wanted to come back to my hometown and play and it was a dream come true and uh and yeah they did and it was exciting because I didn't necessarily know for sure that they were going to take me because they could have just said you know sure. and it didn't and didn't happen but um you know I'm watching that draft and I think I think I was the third or fourth pick for the Quakes they had a few picks that year from yeah. from their trades and I'm watching you know their first pick go and then the second pick go and then I'm like okay this next one's going to be, and then it was Justin Morrow's name got called it. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, mother effing this. Justin, <laughs> I don't even know who he is. And two picks later, it was me. And it's funny because I'm like best friends with Justin now. Um, but right. it, was, it was definitely exciting. Uh, I'll never forget where I was and how it went down. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely a dream come true, gang. Uh, drafted and playing for the Quakes. 
Sure. I would say thank you because you actually just addressed my next question, which was what did it mean for you to be able to stay so close to home? So, I mean, I got the answer right there. I imagine a lot of people are probably hitting you up for tickets when you did get drafted and stay close to home, right? Yeah, that was the, the crazy part. It, like growing up in high school, you you always hope that you have a lot of family friends that come watch your games. But, you know, it's it's not college football like it is in Texas or something where high school sure. have a ton of fans. So I typically didn't have any friends or family that would come watch our games. It was typically the other players, parents or, or friends or whatever. And so um, I always dreamt about playing in front of so many of my friends and family. So once I was a professional, man, it was like 30, 40, 50 people <laughs> every single game coming out. And we played at Buckshaw. So it was, uh, it was a smaller of a stadium. You know, they played at Santa Clara university, which, which is called Buckshaw stadium. And uh, yeah. there was only, I think a capacity of 10,000 fans, but um, I felt like I had a whole section to myself. <laughs> and it was it was pretty cool because I just I played for them. I honestly I tried so much harder. After every game, I would go up to their section, and you know, random fans would always walk by and get pictures and autographs. And you know, they thought it was so cool that I would go uh, say hi to all the fans. But really, I was just saying hi to my family, my friends, <laughs> cousins, and relatives, everyone in that section. So it was definitely that's cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah. There was another up-and-coming young player on that San Jose roster with you in 2010. I would oh, imagine yeah. maybe two or three of the millions and millions of Defenders of the Bank's listeners probably heard the name Chris Wondolowski. What was it like playing with Chris, and could you see glimpses of the career he would go on to have? Yeah, you know, it's crazy to see the rise of Chris Wondolowski because when, when we were drafted, uh, you know, Chris, for the most part, had just been a reserve player. He hadn't really established himself with the first team. Yeah. And so that 2010 year, which was our rookie year, it was the first year that he really um, got his chance. And that was purely by, by chance, by luck, um, because of injuries. And that's yeah. how the game works sometimes, you know. You, you have to get your opportunity however it comes. And he made the most of it, you know. Uh, and so – I think the first two starting forwards got injured and then it was okay. Third string Wando go in there wow. and he, he scored and then he scored again. And then the next <laughs> thing scored again and kept scoring, wouldn't stop and they couldn't take him out. And it was pretty cool to just watch someone that, you know, has been in the league for so long, but was practically on minimum with the rest of us rookies. Right. Um, and we were just so happy because He's one of the guys, you know, you'll, you'll say that he wasn't like this big headed superstar when we got there and he sure. hung out with rookies and all that stuff. So we're, we're really excited that he's doing so well. And he kept um, kept humble and continued to progress. Yeah. And he's stayed in the community, too. I mean, he's a yeah. he's an icon in that San Jose Earthquakes. I mean, he's he's the greatest player in franchise history, if not MLS history. Oh, for sure. You know, being so close from Danville, um, being able to play, you know, similar to me for your hometown team, I think that's pretty yeah. cool. And uh, he appreciates it a lot. For sure. So in, in your second regular season match of your MLS career, you played against the Chicago Fire. And there was an unused player on the Fire roster that day named John Thorington. So <laughs> let me ask you a question here. Your careers overlap by about four years. Do you ever remember playing against John? 
Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I was going back and you guys actually didn't play against each other. I think too often, maybe one or two times and he didn't get a lot of minutes. You started in all the games that I looked at, but he didn't get a lot of minutes, unfortunately for John. Yeah. Um, I think that's when he started scouting me probably. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't really remember, uh, you know, if or when we played against each other, you know, there's fortunately there's been a lot of guys that I played against. Uh, you know, maybe maybe his DC days did we overlap a little bit? Yeah, yeah one year when he was with DC in thirteen, you guys might have met up against each other too. Yeah, and and then you know when he left Vancouver right after I went over there, so we kind of just barely just missed, missed each other. other right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was probably just keep an eye on. He knew what he was going to do in the future, so he was. Right, he was there you happy. go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, so during your time with San Jose, you also got your first taste of international duty. Uh, you know, something obviously every player dreams of wearing, you know, their their country on their chest. You actually suited up for, for two countries. You know, first for Jurgen Klinsmann, he called you in for one of the United States camps. Unfortunately, you know, you went unused in that match against Mexico, which happened to be on my dad's birthday, by the way. I was looking that up. That was kind of cool. Hmm. And then you make the switch to represent Iran. Why did you ultimately decide to make the switch? And then what did it mean to you to be able to represent the Iranian people that way? Yeah, I think that was really cool, um, you know, getting my first call up with the U.S. men's national team. Just because growing up in the States, you know, that's all I really watched. Um, that was, you know, who I was a real big fan of and watched all their games. And I always wanted to, to get called up by Bob when he was coaching the, the U.S. national team. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of young guys getting opportunities and I was hoping that it would get my opportunity but you know then his time was done with the national team and then Jurgen came in and uh you know I played a few years I never really heard anything from the national team um and I just thought you know maybe because I wasn't in their youth system you know I didn't play uh sure. the the under 17s or U20s U23s and so I figured that's just why I never got a call up even though you know I'd been playing a lot you know, I, I led our team as a defender one year as assist. You know, I was, uh, you know, playing every single game on a supporter shield team, winning team. Yeah. And so I, I kept hoping, um, but I didn't really expect it. So when that when that call came, I was really ecstatic. And, uh, you know, I go over to Mexico with the team. And first time the U.S. has beaten Mexico in Mexico at Azteca. Right. It was really cool just to be there firsthand and on the field and see all that. But like you mentioned, I didn't get cap tied and so uh i ended up going to january camp that following year um i had a sports hernia surgery that just wasn't fixed um the off season before and so i had to leave camp unfortunately get it fixed the second time just a couple months after the first surgery and uh you know i got back to playing was doing well again for the quakes um uh, but i didn't hear anything from the national team and uh meanwhile the whole time iran's been you know phoning me up saying, come on, we really want you. We really want you. Sure. Um, what do you think? And for me, my dream was always to play at the World Cup. And that was a really big opportunity um, if I accepted to, to play at the World Cup. And, you know, I hadn't really heard anything from the national team all this time before and then all this time after. And so I thought, you know what, this is my only chance to play at a World Cup because uh, U.S. isn't calling. So, you know, I took the, the opportunity with Iran and uh, I was on that final 23-man roster for Iran, which... Was I, I swear, it, 
It's as if you can see our questions list. You're leading us into our, our <laughs> questions. This is perfect. Philly, take nice it away. Segue. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like when we were hanging out with Matthew Barry, we were t- talking about that 2014 World Cup, and he brought back so many flashbacks. I mean, Iran took Argentina to the wire. Had it yeah. not been for that last-minute goal by Messi, you would have taken a point from then. Iran, yeah. you guys were, you guys held one of the greatest teams in the world, and you were praised heavily for your play. Previous game, you tied Nigeria. You nearly you nearly tied Argentina. Th- then the Bosnia game happened. But yeah, unfortunate yeah. way to end a solid run. But 2014 World Cup, you got to be there. What was that experience like for you? And what did you take away from that World Cup that helped you in your career? Yeah, you know, if, if you look at just results, you're probably like, oh, that wasn't a very good showing. But if you watched all the games, you were really impressed with what, you know, Iran did, you know, on the biggest stage for yeah. football. You know, the, the first game was, uh, it was difficult because I was supposed to start, but the coach was very worried with the, the set pieces because Nigeria, for the most part, uh, were dominant in the air, corner set pieces. And so he lined up our whole back line with center backs um, just for the extra height. And, you know, he told me I was going to play that second game against Nigeria. But I think because we played so well and, you know, we got a draw, which is, it's good. You know, you, you, you're yeah. staying live in the tournament. Uh, he didn't switch anything, which I'm, I'm totally fine with uh, as far as a player's perspective, because my mindset is if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, it worked. Sure. I would have loved to be in there. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it worked. We, we've got to try it again. And what happens? We hold Nigeria. We hold Argentina to the 93rd minute. You know, there were moments in that game where we almost scored and, you know, we could have won. You know, yeah. there. There was a PK shout. There was a couple unbelievable yeah. saves by their keeper where it was inches away from, from us going up one nothing. And so when when Messi does what Messi does and he scores that <laughs> curler to the back post, beautiful left foot shot, you know, you kind of just you tip your cap to him. Um, but man, being being on that field and just being able to look at the crowd and for the most part, all the Brazilians are, are cheering for us because <laughs> the Argentina, I'll never forget that moment. Um, it was really, it was surreal. And, uh, you know, being able to see one of the best players in the history of, of our sport, um, you know, up close and personal, it, it was really remarkable, but, but yeah, it was, it was a fun time. It was, it was an honor to be uh, one of the final 23 man roster in a country of 80 million people they could have selected from, um, you know, and being the only, only player born in another country to represent Iran was really cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's a moment that at the time I was really disappointed not to play um, just cause I'm so competitive. I want to play. Uh, but you know, when people put things into perspective, like, man, there was millions of other people that wanted to be in your shoe shoes. So the fact that I was able to, to live that dream was really cool. Well, you know, Stephen, we're going to make the smooth segue from <laughs> Lionel Messi to Jordan Harvey, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, you, you two unbelievable left-footers. <laughs> there you go. So, so you had an incredible amount of success, obviously, with San Jose. You know, 2012 All-Star, 2012 Supporters Shield, Champions League. You actually led all of Major League Soccer defenders and assists over your last three years that you were there. I mean, there was nothing more that you could have done for San Jose, but your four-year run, you know, it comes to a close in 2014. You're acquired by Vancouver, and that's when you team up with Jordan for the first time, you know, on the back line. 
And, and Philly, I'm going to go ahead and take your question here for just a quick second. Yeah, um, what it. was soccer like north of the border? How different is it going from San Jose, where you're born and raised, grew up, to, you know, one of the world's great cities, you know, one of the nicest laid back towns in Vancouver? Oh, yeah, it, it was scary at first, just because, you know, my wife and I were, were California kids. We've been here our whole life. Uh, you know, the furthest I went was San Diego State University for a couple of four years, got my degree and came back to San Jose. And so um, that's all we really knew. So it was scary at first to, to leave home, uh, go not just somewhere in the U.S., but you're, you're leaving the country. Yeah. You're going to Canada. And so we didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, as Americans, I think we're a little bit naive towards Canada and we don't appreciate what they really have to offer. Um, and once I got there, man, did we fall in love with Vancouver. It was gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Um, you know, the people are super friendly. It's so clean, unbelievable restaurants. Um, I love and I have nothing but good things to say about Vancouver. Uh, so we really enjoyed our two years there. Uh, it helps when the team is doing so well. So, you know, thankfully, those two years with Jordan and, and the Whitecaps, we, we did really well and um, made the playoff both years and really had great defense, uh, you know, thanks to Jordan. And so, uh, yeah, it, it was a fun, fun two years. And, you know, we go East Coast, we go over to Toronto, which were another great two years in Canada. Right. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question just because Scarf and I, one of our favorite stories in US, in American soccer is the Jay Demerit story. And you got yeah. to play with him for all about a cup of coffee before he <laughs> retired in July of 2014. Can you tell us a little bit about Jay Demerit and your experience playing with him? Yeah, you know, Jay was uh, a little bit of a reason I, I went there as well, just because I played with him at the All-Star uh, game in 2012. So I, I knew him from that. and. I feel like he was kind of one of the first big names to to come back to MLS. You know, he he was obviously a mainstay in the national team, um, you know, had a lot of caps and did so well uh, in Europe playing for Watford. And, yeah. uh, you know, he comes back to the Whitecaps and it was kind of a big deal when he did this. And yeah. uh, I was excited to go play alongside him. You know, I, you know, I knew that we're going to have a decent uh, defensive squad and, if we can get some goals, we might have some success. So being able to go join him and uh, just getting to see what type of leader he was firsthand, you know, he was just, he didn't mess around, you know, when he, when he was on the field, you just saw the competitive just nature come out of him. And yeah, maybe he's not the most uh, talented player with the ball, but one V one, if you're trying to get by this guy, you just, you just saw his skill sets kick in and he was just, <laughs> you know, just so competitive and such an athlete. Um, unfortunately, he, he did deal with a bit of a, I think it was an Achilles or ankle issue. Yeah. At and uh, I didn't get to play that long with him, but um, yeah, he was, he was a great player and uh, a big leader for that team. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it, you, uh, you go East to Toronto and I mean, you're part of one of the greatest clubs in MLS history that, that second year you're in Toronto. I mean, they, they did everything you possibly could, right? You win the, the domestic treble, first MLS team to do that, Supporter yeah. Shield, you get to hoist MLS Cup. And I mean, my goodness, the roster that you're playing with, with Josie and Michael Bradley and Sebastian Jovinko, your buddy Justin Morrow comes on again. So, so you guys are playing with each other. Mm -hmm. What is that season like to be playing on such a juggernaut of a team that, you know, is breaking records and has all the stars? I mean, that must have been an incredible season. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was pretty incredible. Um, just, you know, the fact that Toronto had always been known for having such high expectations and they always kind of fell short. And so in, in 2015, uh, you know, when they scored a ton of goals and gave up a ton of goals, uh, you know, I was a free agent and I saw a really good opportunity to go join a team that, you know what, the goals are there where we didn't necessarily have it in Vancouver. And so if I can kind of bring my defensive mentality from Vancouver that I learned and uh, we did so well to Toronto, this could be a good recipe for success. And so, you know, you're joining the likes of Josie, Michael, Seba, and man, it was so much fun being <laughs> able to play with those guys because they're so competitive. You have the the ultimate leader with Michael Bradley um, and he's able to, to really – uh, control some some big egos with you know one of the greatest forwards in U.S. men's national team and Josie with yeah. you know with Seba with Giovinco uh, you know he, he played for Juventus are you kidding me like <laughs> unbelievable talent and for for Michael to be able to just really get the best out of those guys but also all the young guys and everywhere in between um, you know he was a big catalyst to to the reason we had so much success. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm watching these documentaries nowadays with uh, with Jordan, with Lance Armstrong on, on ESPN. And I, yeah. s- I sense a lot of that leadership and that personality from Michael. And, you know, some people maybe say he's he's too tough on guys, but there's a reason that he has success. Right. And so yeah. uh, a lot of our success in 2017 uh, came from him and he was a lot of that driving force. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think everything that we accomplished Yes, we had a lot of talent, but um, but it, it was just a lot of fun to be a part of, and uh, it was it was fun to see everybody kind of give their full potential that 2017 season because sure. we saw a little bit of it in 2016 when we finished third place on the East, um, and then you just saw everything click, similar to LAFC in in 2019, where 2018 we finished third, and you saw some of our potential, but. 2019 everything kind of clicked and uh we were flying so those those were definitely fun years to be part of and as you're holding mls cup what are you thinking you got the the biggest trophy in the league you finally reached the top of the mountain you know what what are you thinking about that yeah that that was incredible that's i want to say that's probably every you know mls player's dream to to hold the mls um you know even though you can ask all the players, I think majority will say supporter shield is tougher to do just because it's a season long uh, accomplishment. And, you know, all, all the, the countries around the world, that's their only trophy. That's what they play for that regular season champion. And so uh, to finally be able to, to hold the MLS cup and, you know, declare ourselves champions uh, that meant a lot. And it was kind of a, uh, you know, get the monkey off the back, like finally, you know, accomplished it to, to be there with Justin Moore, who, you know, we got into the league together in 2010. And, you know, we won a supporter shield already together. We won our second supporter shield with Toronto together um, to finally just, you know what, MLS Cup, we got it. Uh, <laughs> a sigh of relief. Um, but yeah, won't, I, we won't forget uh, that season at all because there was a lot of great memories. That's awesome. Yeah. That stint in Toronto only lasted you two years. And yeah. as fate would have it, your professional career starts in California. It takes you to Canada. And fortunately for us, 
your career brings you back to California. You make your way to beautiful Los Angeles in January of 2018. You are truly part of the fabric of our club, Stephen, starting throughout those first two years. Now, as the roster was being put together in 2018, you've just gone from playing with a few megastars to being on a roster with a relative patchwork of guys from around the MLS and the world. What were you thinking as LAFC was being put together? Yeah, you know, it started before, uh, you know, I was a free agent. Just seeing everything that LAFC was doing, um, it definitely caught my attention, definitely caught my wife's attention. Uh, you know, we... <laughs> You know, we loved everything from their branding to the, the ownership group to the coach that they're hiring to the first player that they're uh, signing to, you know, even their colors, like the black and gold. It's amazing. Like <laughs> the, the crest, the, you know, it's everything about it was just beautiful. And, um, you know, when I was a free agent, uh, just the the ability, the opportunity to join them, um, it, was, it was incredible. You know, obviously Jordan Harvey was – was there before uh, I signed. And so that's a person that was a big part of as well, you know, being able to, to call him and talk to him. And, um, you know, we joked about it when we were in Vancouver together that um, when LAFC was originally announced in, I think, 2014, if I'm not mistaken, right. uh, we kind of joked like, hey, we'll join up in LAFC uh, one day. And, you know, flash forward four or five years, here we are. Uh, playing for LAFC together. And so it, it was really cool to to be given that opportunity to be um, on a team from the very from the very beginning, from the start, uh, you know, before the stadium's even built to, to, to be there with that club and um, and make sure that you represent the club in the right way, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And so um, I don't take any of that for granted and uh, I've met some incredible people uh, on and off the field. And yeah, you know, last year was being able to break so many records and win that supporter shield again, which mm. I'll tell you, it's, it's harder than the MLS cup. I think a lot of teams can get lucky and win MLS cup, but you can't, you can't be lucky and win supporter shield. Sure. Philly, he's done such a wonderful job of answering my next question. It was literally about what was it like teaming back up again with Jordan Harvey. So, you know, I, you, it's, I think we didn't send you our questions, right, Stephen? You're not looking at Yeah, either that or he's reading our minds, which I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. These are the smoothest segues we've ever had, and you and I have been together for 101 episodes, and we, we, we're not even this smooth with segueing. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Stephen, we got to have you on full-time as our, our third host until, uh, yeah, until the season starts again, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because playing with with Jordan the last two years, we joked around our time in Vancouver together because we'd always been known that 2014-15 team is such a great defensive team. I think we ranked first and second those two years as far as um, goals against average and shutouts. And we always joked the the years in between when I was with Toronto and he was still in Vancouver. Like, man, we really could have either one supporter shield or one MLS cup. If we just had a little bit more firepower, if we had a Giovinco or, or someone to that nature. And so when we joined up forces in LAFC, um, you know, and then we got the Vela, we're like, <laughs> man, like this is what we were talking about in Vancouver. And so it was really cool to kind of see what we just spoke about in a jokingly manner, but to, to see it come into fruition and to see all the success that we had together in LAFC, it was really cool. And we'll share a lot of those memories together, which were incredible. Sure. 
So they define luck as when hard work meets and hard work and preparation meet. Now, the culmination, everything LAFC has done brings us into that first season, that first game at the bank. One of the most legendary pieces in our club's history. Simon fired home the winner in the 93rd minute. We live in in La La Land. I don't think any of these execs down down the road in Burbank could have come up with a better script than that. But what was the locker room like after that first game, that first win at the bank? Like, what was that like? Yeah, you you honestly you couldn't write a script better than that. You know, first home game, highly anticipated. Uh, you know. They had a couple opportunities to score and really just put a damper on our opening night. But, you know, luck luck has it that it was still 0-0 going into the 90th minute. And then Simon steps up where we've seen it before. You know, you know he had that uh, incredible goal against Montreal where yeah. we kicked 30, 30 yards or so out. And, you know, we're kind of thinking, is this possible? Like 90, <laughs> whatever, 91st, 92nd minute. And sure enough, it, it was. And I just think it was it was destiny. It was meant to be. Um, it wouldn't have been right if that game ended 0-0. And so sure enough, you know, Stefan Fry, who I think is an unbelievable goalkeeper, you know, it just got by him. And whether someone, uh, whether the West End blew a little bit of extra air and pushed the ball <laughs> over uh, it, it went in and it was just meant to be. And so that that locker room, man, were we pumped up. I think a lot of the ownership group were, were down uh, celebrating as well with us and uh, the management. And it, it was it was a team effort, not just from, from the players. It was honestly the whole organization uh, deserved to celebrate uh, that night. And we all did. We, we took a great picture together. And uh, it honestly felt like we had won a trophy, even though <laughs> we didn't. But uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was special, and so so happy to be part of that uh, one of many incredible moments with LAFC. Yeah, yeah we always know, I, will credit and thank Stefan Fry for that assist. So shout out to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, I can't imagine as a young goalie, somebody like Tyler Miller or Pablo Cisniega, you know, having a better duo or even trio, if you count a guy like Laurent Simon, someone like that in front of them, you know, how did defenders like yourself and, and maybe a guy like Jordan Harvey, you know, help, help in the growth process for these young goalies, especially, you know, starting out, you, you had some goalies in front of you that didn't have a lot of MLS experience or any MLS experience, really. Yeah. You know, uh, I think playing in front of Tyler and Pablo, I think it was pretty incredible to see, uh, their growth and development, uh, Tyler specifically, just because I played so many games uh, with him, and you know he's he's not not typically coming from uh, a, a big resume as far as appearances. You know he's always been a backup, but you always kind of heard about uh, his quality and his potential, and so being able to to watch him grow and develop, and um, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I think you know he matured a lot. Uh, the time with LAFC, I think when you have the likes of uh, Laurent, you know, Jordan, uh, you know, myself in front of him, I think, uh, you know, I think he learned a lot from us, just not necessarily on the field, but uh, off the field kind of stuff, the way we carry ourselves, the professionalism, you know, making sure that we we take care of our bodies, we eat right, we stay fit, we're in the gym a lot. Um, and so I think he, he realized that, you know, it's, it's not just about your on-field performances, you know, it matters what you do off the field uh, that will 
you know, give yourself the opportunity to perform on the field. So, uh, you know, Tyler, Tyler came into it with a great mindset and uh, it really had an outstanding first year. And, um, you know, you know, thankfully he's doing well again with, with Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I think the future is really bright for him. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, just not not so much in EMLS, but other than that, he's good to go. He didn't have a good EMLS showing, but uh, we love <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I think oh. what Gio put it best, right, when he, he says, I'm not Tyler Miller. On <laughs> that was, that's still one of our favorite quotes of this whole offseason. Let, let me ask you, with all this, the success that you had in 2018, did you see the writing on the wall for what could be there and what turned out to be a pretty incredible 2019 season? Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people – that year in between 2018, 2019 actually asked me, uh, you know, the similarities that I saw with Toronto FC in 2016 and then 2017. And I kind of mentioned it before yeah. uh, during the podcast and I saw so many uh, similarities uh, just because, you know, we didn't necessarily know what to expect in 2018. Uh, you know, when, when results came, we were kind of excited and a little bit shocked, uh, and then the season goes on and, you know, finishing third place in a pretty, pretty difficult and stacked Western Conference is a, a huge accomplishment. But now you're going into the offseason and the way we lost to Salt Lake, you know, giving up two shots on goal and somehow they score three goals. Uh, a lot of the guys were angry and upset and motivated from that. And so that's the biggest driving force for any football player is that motivation. You know, you, you can say something. But what really goes deep down inside and motivates you, and it's a loss like that, you know, something that you had bigger expectations from the from the regular season, and then to just to be put out of the playoffs like that, and uh, you know, you saw the whole 2019. Uh, guys were on a mission. We we really yeah. were. Results were coming. We didn't care. Records were coming and going. We didn't care. <laughs> we were just we were all about beating every single team and. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun just because you know you you saw everybody live up to their potential and really ex you know exceed it and uh you know you had carlos vela who had the best regular season uh amongst any mls player in the history of mls right. so being on the field and watching that left-footed curler new <laughs> It was pretty fun to be a part of uh, and just special games in between. Uh, so finally breaking the record for most, most regular season points and holding that supporter shield. Um, yeah, it was definitely, it was, it was rewarding uh, and it was kind of, uh, you know, you could stem it back to the season before and that off season of everything the guys worked for, uh, you know, had, had paid off, but sure. yeah, it was more fun. Yeah, that offseason must have been something. I know Scarf and I wanted to put a picture of Demir Krylock up on our dartboard and just start flinging darts oh, at him. That's wow. how pissed we were during that game. But, yeah, 2019, absolute fire. You guys come out. Wow, it was it was amazing. But there was a small change in the back line. Eddie Segura seeing regular minutes. What did the emergence of Eddie mean to the back line of LAFC? Yeah, you know, I I think we didn't really know what to expect with Eddie. You know, if you if you want to look back at the twenty eight season, twenty eighteen season, you know the 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 third uh, player on the defensive back, that center back role, was kind of the question mark. And uh, you know, I think when he was able to come in and really solidify himself, you know, I think that's what we needed. You kind of needed that, you know, I'll quote unquote steady Eddie. You kind yeah. of needed that back there. Uh, 
and we had that, you know, with Jordan, Eddie, with with uh, with Walk, and and myself, and we were rolling at that point. You know, we knew what to expect at, from each other. Um, Eddie is a player where he doesn't necessarily score a lot of goals, which the fans typically will see, like what Laurent did. But on the defensive end, man, he he was so so good and and so much better, honestly, just because uh, he wouldn't make mistakes. He would be very simple with his passing. His defending, he would just be able to get so tight, and his his one v one was so good where the guy can go left or right. But he typically was so quick for that first step where nothing happened. So you didn't see a a remarkable slide tackle or goal line save because he didn't let it get to that point. And so Eddie doesn't get a lot of credit. I kind of think I'm a little bit similar in that sense. Same with Jordan Harvey, where. We like to position ourselves and and read the play before something big happens. And and Eddie, man, to think he's only 21, 22 years old, it's really remarkable because the way he plays is like a a, a player that's that's had 10 years of experience under his belt. But uh, he's really a really good player, and uh, I really hope he gets more national team experience because I, I think he deserves it, and uh, he's got even more potential to to live up to. So, so let me ask you, because of your experience in the league, you know, you're one of the veterans on the team. Did you take guys like Tristan Blackman, Joao Moutinho, Eddie Segura? Did you kind of take them under your wing a little bit? Like, did you mentor them? And the other important question is, do you and Jordan make them then carry your bags after each of the games? Or how does that work? No, you know, it's it's up to the players if, if they want to kind of follow along, not necessarily in our footsteps, but just to to watch and learn what you know players like Jordan who's had an unbelievable MLS career has played a, a million years and and still playing and <laughs> doing so well you emphasize that a little bit were you were you perhaps speaking to Jordan through the the interview <laughs> you definitely no, emphasize no. that word million i don't know you have to give credit where credit's due you know to be able to to perform at that high of a level where so many people doubt you know doubt him and and keep trying to replace him. But, you know, he keeps showing his face and he keeps showing up and he's like, no, you know, this is, <laughs> this is my spot. I don't care what you guys say. And you have to give credit. And so when young players like, you know, Jao Moutinho come in and, uh, you know, Tristan Blackman come in, it's up to them if they want to, to watch and learn and, and really develop. And so I think, uh, you know, Zhao had a little bit of a tough time, um, you know, accepting that, that, what it takes is more than what it took in college. And, you know, sure. I think, I think the, the reason you see Tristan improved by leaps and bounds is because he had that right mentality of, you know what, let's watch what beta does. Let's watch what Jordan does as an outside back. And the fact that he even watched and learned from the center backs and said, you know what, I'm going to get some time as a center back as well. And so, you know, you could have put Tristan anywhere on that back line from left back center back to right back. And, he he was open to the mindset of you know what let me just be on that field and let me do my best to learn in every position and do my best when i'm on that field and i think that's why he's gotten so many opportunities because he has the talents but he also has the mindset which uh which you know you, you don't necessarily see at such a young age and to see him with it it's really incredible sure sure and and you know you kind of he kind of answered your next question there philly that uh, that we wanted to answer i mean again I know you don't have the questions in front of you, but I'm I'm just so impressed that uh, 
you know, you're stealing our questions before we even ask them. You made more MLS history in 2019 kind of off the pitch as well, which is pretty cool. You became the first player, and, and I'm actually wearing it right now for yeah. those that are, are watching, which is just my parents, I think, at this point in my house. But uh, you made some history with the first uh, Farsi language officially licensed MLS t-shirt in 2019. That was that awesome launch event at the HQ. What does something like that mean to you to be representative of, you know, the, the language and the Iranian people and all of it that way? Yeah, that, that meant a lot. Um, you know, I have to give so much credit to, to Rich Roscoe, who really helped push everything through. Um, you know, he's, he's unbelievable, just unbelievable as a, a person, but as far as getting things done, um, you know, I still talk to, to him uh, often. Uh, ben Chi was a huge part of that as well, sure. who, who helped really just see it through because, you know, moments like that, there's a lot of talk and things just don't happen. But, you know, with Rich, with, with Ben working behind the scenes, they got it done and I have to give them the credit. And for me, just being able to represent, you know, the Iranian community, which for, for, for the listeners that don't know, you know, the Iranian community outside of Iran, it's the largest in Los Angeles, you know? Yeah. And so we have a ton of support here and a ton of Iranians living uh, in Los Angeles. So, you know, they joked around, you know, when the, when the shirt got launched that it was the, the number one seller, you know, this week and then the following week. And then, you know, for that first couple months, you know, it was a top three seller, you know, just because there's so many Iranians here and so many Iranians that are proud um, that uh, a fellow Iranian is, is supporting, not just um, not playing in MLS, but in their local, Los Angeles team. Uh, so they were really proud of that. And I was, I was really proud to be kind of behind the works of that, you know, obviously Rich and Ben did so much of the work, but just to be able to have, you know, my name on the back and on the front in Farsi to say Los Angeles football club. Uh, I think it was pretty cool. The culmination of both and, um, and just thankful that I was given the opportunity. Sure. The, the amount of times we've heard Rich's name, not only on our podcast, between us, between all the other podcasts, it should be a game scarf. Anytime you hear the word or the name Richard Roscoe, it should be like, take a shot. <laughs> he, yeah. He's I just, everywhere. I just think I love, you like coming Rich. up with games that make me take a shot at the end of it personally, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason he was uh, marketing executive of the oh, yeah. year. You know, he deserves it. The This guy, yeah. man, they, you know, him and Julie, his wife, they, they work tirelessly every single day and they're so kind and genuine every time you see them um i'm just like man you guys always have a smile on your face you guys are so energetic you guys are seriously such great people so to see him uh, be rewarded like that um a lot of times those guys kind of go under the radar and they don't get uh the due justice and the sure enough he was uh, a recipient of a great award that i think he deserved yeah absolutely absolutely End of the 2019 season also means the end of your contract with LAFC. Then absolute insanity ensues. The global pandemic combined with the unrest in Iran sort of scuffled a few contract opportunities at the beginning of the year. Yeah. How did you navigate through the whole process, ultimately making the decision not to pursue something in, in Iran or even China. I know you were in contract negotiations with them. Like, how did you navigate through that whole process and come up with these decisions? 
Yeah, this, I mean, this has been the toughest six to eight months, I just think, not only for me, but for the entire world. Um, you know, if I want to be personal about it, it was the toughest part of my career, probably of my life, you know, um, the, from, from free agency till now. You know, it's still going on, still a free agent. You know, a lot of people, whether it's people who don't know me, whether it's friends, whether it's even family, you know, are you still looking for a team? Are you retired? What's going on? And, you know, from from when free agency kicked off to, to the coronavirus to, you know, the league suspended, so now nobody's playing, um, you just, you couldn't foresee any of that in the future. And uh, yeah, if, if, if I had a, a magic ball and I can kind of go back, I would do a couple things differently just to put myself and my family in a, a better position. But you know, no one has that magic ball. If you guys do, sure. please let me know. I would like. Uh, I would like we a little. We would be part owners of the club if we did. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, it was tough. You know, there was a couple clubs in Iran that you know wanted me to go play over there, and uh, you know, a huge, huge event happens with the, the U.S. and the Iran military. When yeah. now we're thinking, are we going to war with Iran? Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, we didn't. But then, uh, you know, flash forward a couple weeks or maybe a month, and. You know, there's some some talks with Asian teams and all of a sudden coronavirus kicks in over there where it hadn't come over here yet. We didn't know how how sure. bad it was, but all we're hearing from from over there from the camp was it's not safe. Don't come here. You know, I don't care what they're offering. Uh, yeah. You don't want to bring your family here. So we hold off yeah. and then sure enough, it comes to the U.S. And now, you know, we we get a glimpse of it. But, you know, MLS, NFL, NBA, everyone just goes in hiatus. Everyone's suspended. And now we're sitting here, you know, still a free agent, still looking for teams. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was tough. It was tough. I had to really dig deep and try to stay positive as I, I have done my whole career. And, uh, you know, it's it's looking like it's on positive trend. Hopefully things. Nice. Things hopefully come back to normal soon. Uh, I know, you know, uh, you guys are seeing restaurants and maybe some barbershops opening up. I know MLS announced they're finally coming back with the Orlando thing. You hear the NBA is going to Orlando as well. And uh, hopefully that could be a sign of uh, some good things coming in the future. But uh, still free agents, still just talking with, with teams, whether it is MLS or whether it is uh, in, the, uh, in the Middle East. But nothing is set, so you know we'll see. We'll see what comes. Um, my my door is open. My 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 phone is is on. I'm I'm accepting calls, and we're we're just trying to see see what the best opportunity can bring. Sure, sure. John John Thorrington, Will Kuntz, if you guys are listening, come on, man. You, you already know the kind of person you're getting. You know the player yeah. you're getting. We Last need act. we need beta back in black and gold. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I would love to be back. I'm still in Los Angeles, so who knows if they call, uh, that'd be a interesting and fun call to to have. I don't know how the heck we got here. I close my eyes and I still feel like we're in March, <laughs> but it's mid June of That's 2020. That's March was the longest month ever. <laughs> seriously, seriously, uh, I just can't believe we're here. But yeah. what would you say is next? in the football career of Stephen Betashore? Would coaching, would would the John Thorrington route be something you consider? Like, where do you see your future in football after your playing days are done? Yeah, you know, 
obviously I still want to play. Uh, I haven't given that up. Um, you know, sure. I just need at least or to should you. Yeah, yeah. So I still I feel like I have uh, a lot left in the tank. Uh, that competitive nature still flowing in me, but uh, it it definitely has opened up my eyes to life after soccer. You know, being this this you know long hiatus that we've kind of had to deal with um, through unfortunate circumstances. So I've I've given some thought. You know, whether it be coaching or or working in the front office, I definitely want to stay in the soccer realm just because. I feel like I have so much knowledge and insight, um, you know, with my with my career that I've had. And, and I want to help teams that, you know, whether it is, you know, go to a team and just be that 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 mentor for for younger players and transition into maybe a coaching role, assistant coaching role. Um, but I, I just think something that a lot of people talk about my character and my professionalism I think a lot of teams are kind of untapped in that sense of, you know, the the off the field stuff, whether it's uh, recovery, whether it's the nutritional aspect, whether it's the the physical work that you do in the gym and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think everywhere that I've gone, the teams, the coaching staff have kind of looked at me and, and said, yeah, this guy does work uh, a lot harder off the field. And so I think, uh, I think I can help a lot of these younger guys because I always say, man, if I had someone teach me and if I knew what I knew now back then, sure. I could have been so much better for it. And so I, I think there is a big role um, with a lot of clubs, whether it is internationally, whether it is at the club level. And so I, I would love to get into that after soccer. So I still have something left in the tank, but I've given that a lot of thought. And, uh, you know, who, who knows? If, if it is a club uh, team or if it is at the international level, um, I think I could do a, a lot of help for, for that team. Sure. You know, looking back on where it's, it's taken you so far, you have played with and against some of the absolute all-time greats. You know, everyone from Thierry Henry, David Beckham, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, Zlatan, of course, Carlos Vela and, and Messi. Did you ever have a fanboy... Yeah, I know, right? Did you ever like a fanboy moment or that moment where you're there on the pitch or you're there on the sidelines, you know, warming up, whatever it might be, and you're going, oh, my God, like, that's 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 messy or that's that's whomever. Like, was there ever that moment or that time where you kind of caught yourself? Uh, you know, it's tough to just say no because, you know, people don't typically believe you when when you say, you know, I'm so competitive that I'm on the field. That's my enemy. And, sure. like, all those names that you mentioned, I don't, I don't care who they are. <laughs> like, I just want to beat them, you know? Right. And so the, the only time I kind of felt that was with Thierry Henry, the first time we were playing against the Red Bulls, just because I was a huge Arsenal fan growing up uh, and a huge Henry fan. Just, he was, he was flawless the way he played and the way he maneuvered on the field. And it almost just looked like he was gliding. And so uh, I think the reason I was a little bit of shock and awe because I wasn't playing that game. And so I had a chance to, to just kind of look and like, oh, man, here, here he is on the same field. You know, oh, wow. But, you know, all the other times I've been on the field playing and I didn't care who was on the other side. I'm just so competitive. I don't trade jerseys with these guys because, you know, I don't want to play you again next time you're like, oh, yeah, I traded jerseys with you. Now I have the mental edge over you. No, like I'm going to kick you. I'm going to, 
I'm going <laughs> to tell you, I don't want you thinking like this guy's my friend. So the, the only jerseys that I actually have of other players are, you know, like Jordan Harvey's or other defenders that I've played with um, that, you know, that are actually my friends. So I don't have a great jersey collection. Um, it's just because I'm competitive and I, I want to be better than the person I'm playing against. Sure, sure. I, I've got to ask you one that's that's off script, if you don't mind, just because I, I was thinking about this as I'm going through. You've probably been able to do this at practice uh, on occasion, but I want to ask you, if you had to give coaching tips on how to stop the left foot of Carlos Vela, you know, what, what do you say to anyone? Because, I, I mean, it's like Mariano Rivera's cutter, right? You know it's yeah. coming every single time and you just can't do anything about it what, what would you say to someone who's like, well, how do you how do you go about stopping the most lethal weapon in Major League Soccer? <laughs> uh, hopefully you're far away from goal uh, and you just hold them and foul them. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the second he gets close to the 18-hour box, there's nothing you can do. So there is no advice for something that's uh, not defendable. Yeah, I love it. If, if you let him go right, he's just going to dribble by you. It's like messy. Uh, and you say, you know he's going to the left, so you're ready for it. But his touch and release is so quick that it still gets by you. And, you know, yeah, you can't stop it. So you're, you're hopefully you're just far away from goal and you're close enough where you can just hold him and foul and everybody get back. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, you know, Stephen, this has been – Absolutely incredible. We've got a couple rapid fire questions we're going to throw at you right here at the end. And then we're going to sign off in the way that we always do. But, you know, just to say it again, and believe me, we'll say it again and again. We are so incredibly over the moon that you were able to spend time with us today. This has been well worth the year plus wait that we've all been talking about finally coming on. So, yeah, it's a pleasure just to be on. Obviously, I've seen you guys on numerous occasions, whether it's at the stadium, uh, after games or you know, any other time in between at appearances. So uh, it's always great to chat with you guys. And finally, after over a year of uh, you know, <laughs> setting this up, there was a lot of uh, build up to this. So Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's lived up to everything and more. Um, I'm going to throw out the, the first rapid fire question. You've played in a lot of great cities. What was your favorite city you think to play in that you've ever had so far in your career? Uh, I think Vancouver. I think Vancouver was... Just city-wise, it was yeah. just beautiful. So I'll, I'll go with them. I might be putting you on the spot with this one, but your favorite teammate of all time. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that now? Hold on, hold on. Clarification. Is that uh, friend or, like, player, like, wow, this guy's unbelievable? Uh, I, would, you're, I would say... I mean, however you want to answer it. I, the, my idea was, you know, friend in that regard. But however you want to answer it, Stephen, balls in your court. Uh, all right. So I don't, I don't want to piss people off. So I'm just going to go with uh, Carlos Vela just because it was so much fun to, to play on the field with him and watch him score all those amazing goals. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. All right, so we'll make sure to let Justin and Jordan know you didn't say either one of them. <laughs> exactly. no so, uh, favorite, you're, you're in L.A. Back when we can finally go to restaurants once again, what's your favorite spot to grab a bite in L.A.? Oh, man. There's so many great places. Uh, you know, we're, we're in Pasadena, and you go to Colorado Boulevard, you can find so many great restaurants over there. Um, there's nothing in particular that I'm, I'm dying for. Uh, you know, 
I'll, I'll give a shout out to 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 maybe let's see Rafi's. Let's go Persian food. Um, there you go. Uh, you know, yeah, great spot. Yeah, so haven't been there in a long time. So maybe once once things open back up, we'll go hit them up. I um, love that spot. Eh? I worked right down the road from Rafi's. You always used to do yeah. like company events there and stuff. Amazing food. Yeah, these guys are always packed too. It's uh, I don't think they take reservations, so it's typically like an hour wait. Uh, yeah. they, they're really good. What if, what if I drop Stephen Bateshore's name? Can I get a table? <laughs> then you have a two-hour wait. Don't do <laughs> All right. Uh, team you looked forward to facing the least? The least? Oh. Uh, 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 man. That's a tough one. You know, if, if you're talking about LAFC last year, we kind of just beat everybody. And so... <laughs> We weren't we weren't really scared of anyone. Um, yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. Who typically gives gives us a hard time or even gives me a hard time? I don't know. I've been fortunate the last couple of years just being on really good teams where we didn't really fear anyone. So sorry to to be a bummer and not give you an answer. Oh, wow, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, still still an answer. All all gravy. Yeah. So coming up through college, high school, everything, was there that dream team? You know, if you could play for any team in the world, who would you have liked to have played for, you know, maybe at this point in your career, when you were younger, whenever, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up in college, I think Arsenal was a team that, man, if I could pick any team to play for, uh, that would be it. Once I became a professional myself, that kind of, I, I stopped watching just them and, and cheering for them. I don't cheer for them. I kind of watch, you know, all the all the teams in the Prem, typically all the top ones, whether it's Man City, Arsenal, Man U, Chelsea, Tottenham, uh, you know, those are the kind of the teams I just watch and learn from. I, I don't root for one over the other. So, uh, yeah, you got to rewind a little bit to the college, high school days, and that was the team that I really, man, it would have been cool to, to play for them. Yeah. yeah, you're making Philly's wife very happy right now. So that's, uh, she'll listen back on this and be pretty pleased. Yeah, our last time in England, we uh, we hit up the Emirates. It was, I think it was 2017, final game of the season against Everton. And she is a huge, huge fan of the club. And she got to see all her favorite players. So, yeah, I know she's going to appreciate this. I'm a United fan. I've been a United fan since Cantona kicked a fan. So, you know. Yeah. A little less enthused. <laughs> All good. All good. It's There's always fun. Yeah. Premier League's coming back, so we're going to get to watch it again. Thank you. I know. I can't wait. I'm watching a lot of the Bundesliga. Um, you know, typically I try to watch some of the top teams, whether it's top five, six teams, but lately, just because it was the only league, I'm watching all their games, all the yeah. teams, even the lower, uh, lower tier teams, or uh, sorry, lower standing teams. But uh, yeah. yeah. You know, we're, we're excited. We can't wait for all the games to come back. So I hope you're not, I appreciate this. Hope you're not upset that we took you away from uh, FC Saarbrook and playing Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, <laughs> that game was going on in the Pokal just recently. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, typically I, I save uh, my viewing for Saturday, Sunday. So that's, sure. that's the blue on the wife's like, great. Can't turn the TV <laughs> on. The, the TV's <laughs> occupied right now all day. So, yeah. Sure. All right, last rapid fire question. You part of LAFC, a ton of memories. You guys broke heart and set trends worldwide in all the amazingness that happened these past couple of years. What was your personal favorite LAFC memory? Uh, oof. I think 
there's a lot of great memories, but I think that first game uh, at the bank uh, against Seattle, just the way everything went down, uh, you know, the, the, the first game in the history of LAFC, just to be part of that uh, and to get the win, I think yeah. for me being so competitive and just putting so much value on winning, uh, I, I just think the fact that we won, uh, it really was the, the icing on the cake. And so uh, I know a lot of people will never forget that first game. Uh, all the fans that were there, the the ownership group, the the front office, the coaching staff, uh, and how much it meant to to look into everyone's eyes and see that you know all the fans, the supporters group, thirty two fifty two, being able to see them for the first time. Yeah, so I, I think that was the greatest LAFC moment for me. And you know, again, we're so excited to have had Stephen Betashore, episode one hundred and one, starting off the second century of episodes in the best way possible. We are so happy to have had Stephen Betashore on. And you guys know how we'd like to end our episodes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.